Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. I remember as a kid, we pull into my grandmother's house in Memphis, Tennessee, little brick house on Summer Avenue, and I would get out of the car and I'd run around in circles in the yard. And my parents said, what is wrong with you? I said, I'm just so glad to be home. Even though it wasn't my home, it was family. I was going to be with my family. Well, let me tell you, one day there was a homecoming coming. It's even bigger and better than anything you've ever experienced on this earth. He is preparing a place for us today. He's preparing a place for us. And so let me tell you where it all started. It started in a garden, right? Perfect garden. Go back to the timeline with me just a moment. Everything started here. He created a perfect environment. He created everything we needed. Chick-fil-A was open every day of the week. <laughs> everything we needed, we had. And then sin entered in, messed everything up. So broke a relationship that we have with the Father. He said, you got to go. And I know as you read the account in Genesis, you're like, well, well, how come he ran us out of the garden? Because there was a tree there called the tree of life. And if we had had access to that tree, now it's not the same tree as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's where all the rebellion started. It's called the tree of life. It is the tree that would have locked in for an eternity separation from God. And he said, I don't want you to eat of that now until I redeem you, until I bring you back home, until I set you free, and I take you away from the one who has taken you captive. And so the story that we have in this book called the Bible is the story of God's love who never gave up on you. He never quit loving you, and he said, I'm going to bring you home one day. So everything from here to there is all about his plan. Now, again, all of these parts and pieces, some of the puzzle, I don't understand. I'm not sure. But I know what the final picture looks like. We're going home. And there's going to be a garden there. It's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. It's going to be absolutely gorgeous and beautiful, just like it was in the beginning. And there will not be sin. There will be no temptation. And we can eat of any tree. We can eat of anything we want. And you don't gain weight. Now, how about a hallelujah? Can we get somebody... I've read actually some scholars who believe we will actually have the appropriate amount of fat. Except that what you eat doesn't affect that because you will be perfect the way God intended you to be. And so, but to get there, this is, this is tough. This is hard. I started to use a bad word. This is hard. It's hard. There is a war going on and it's not with you, but it's over you. Because somebody wants to stop this plan. Somebody wants to stop you, so you'll never know what that's like. And so the deception is that you will not believe, that you will discount faith. You will say the Bible is outdated. You will say, no, no, this thing about the gospel and Jesus dying on the cross, that's good for some, but I don't need it. That's what his desire is. He wants you to give up on Jesus. 
And then this book keeps telling us, don't you give up. Because one day, you're going home. And one day, it'll be worth everything you've been through. In fact, look what Paul says in, in Romans chapter 8. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I want you to think about your suffering right now. Can't even compare it to what's coming. You say, but oh, you don't know how much suffering I've had. Let me tell you to do this. The smallest coffee cup that you can get, okay? Just the smallest little cup or whatever, all right? Whatever that is. Fill it with water while you're standing at the beach looking at the Atlantic Ocean. Look at that cup and say, this is the sufferings of my life. Look at that ocean. That's the grace and glory that's coming to me one day. It's not even worthy to be compared. You can't even compare the two. And listen to the way the message, I give the message because this is, how, Danny doesn't understand ESV, but he understands the message version. That's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. There's no comparison. And I like the message too. I was just messing with Danny. He's not even here. Why am I saying that? <laughs> so where are we going? We're going home the way it was supposed to be. So let me describe your life. Your life starts like this. You were created and God loved you. But you were created even a broken state. Sin had separated you. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Scripture teaches that all we like sheep have gone astray. And man tried to do everything he could to close that gap and to somehow fix that break. He tried church. He tried religion. He tried good works. But it would not move us one inch closer to our Father and our Creator. And so what did the Father do? He sent His Son. And His Son came to do what we couldn't do, and that is to give His life to take away our sin. And through that atonement on the cross... We now have access to God, and we have a way and a path to come back in relationship. You and I get to choose. Do I want to go that way? Let me remind you of some reality. Number one, you're going to see Jesus one day, whether you choose him or not. You're going to see him. I know you think, well, you know, if you're not a believer and you don't, you believe another faith, another religion, a world faith, you do, you're not, yeah, you're going to see Jesus. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Here's the question. Are you going to see him in faith or in unbelief? Because after you see him, there's going to be a separation. There's going to be a final judgment here that says, okay, those of you who believe, Come on into my kingdom. Those of you who did these things in my name, you're welcome. Come on in. Those of you who didn't, depart from me. I never knew you. And so all of a sudden, you have a choice between heaven and hell. Heaven, a place that he's building, he's preparing for us, and hell, a place that is prepared for those who rejected the only hope we have. There's not a third option, guys. If there was a third option, I'd find it. There's not. Some of you might have grown up believing, oh, there is. There's a holding area. There's a waiting room. It's called purgatory. 
And you learned about purgatory, how you go to purgatory and your soul is there. And if your family does really good things, gives a lot of money to church, then you may get out of purgatory and go to heaven. But if they don't, you may get out and go to hell. I got to tell you, I'm going to have to confess to you, I believe in purgatory. It's the best ski area in Colorado. I've been there so many times. I love purgatory. Okay? There's an upper Hades and a lower Hades. Two really tough runs that I've skied so many times. Here's what I don't believe. I don't believe there's a third option. Purgatory is a teaching of the church that was known as the Roman Catholic Church in the days where it came from. It came into the, the doctrine of the church in the 6th century A.D., it's never mentioned in this book. It's mentioned in, apoc in an apocryphal book called Second Maccabees. The only thing this book describes is there will be a moment where you have either said yes to Jesus and you're walking into this place called heaven, or you are saying no, and you're being separated forever. Now I want to talk about the first choice, heaven. Because I think it's only fair that when you're going through tough times, you need to know what's coming. But before I talk about it, I can't move any further before I simply remind you, today could be the day of your salvation. Can I show you something I believe, a quote that I believe? If you are a follower of Jesus today, this life is as close to hell as you'll ever get. That's it. It's as close as you'll ever get. If you're an unbeliever, this life is as close to heaven as you'll ever get. And I just want to make sure you're on the first side. So can we just pause for a moment? If you're on the stream, I'm glad you're part of this. But could you bow wherever you are? If you've never put your faith in Jesus and realized that is my only way to be restored to the Creator and restored to the life that He intended me to have, and I'm willing to say today, Jesus, you are Lord, and I'm following you. I want to lead you in a simple prayer. Just tell him, Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth to die for my sin. Jesus, thank you for forgiveness. Today, I turn from myself, and I turn from my sin. And I'm turning to you. You're my hope. You're the one I trust. I will follow you the rest of my days in Jesus' name. Now look this way. I know it seems very simplistic, almost childlike, but isn't it interesting? Jesus said, unless we become like children, we don't enter the kingdom of heaven. The Bible promises whoever calls on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. And if you simply acknowledge that, meaning it in your heart, he heard you. Stars didn't fall out of the sky. Nope. But one day you're going to see the reality of your destination that just changed because of your belief in the Lord Jesus. So when that moment comes, we're going home. When you die, you're either going to meet him in his return or in death. Either way. Either we're going to be here when he comes and we're going to see him, or when we die, we're going to see him. Randy Alcorn, probably the best book on heaven that I know of. It's a big book. It's a great book. We have them available in the bookstore. This is what Randy Alcorn says. The day I die will be the best day I've ever lived. You know why? Because something good is coming. 
I'm going to see him. I've told this story so many times. It's been around forever. You've probably heard it, but just helps you to think about it. A pastor was meeting with a family, and they said, hey, we would like for mom, it was the mom that had passed, we would like for you to do the service, and they gave him all the instructions. And then they told him something, said, there's something really strange we want you to do. Would you make sure she has a fork in the casket with her? He said, what? A fork. Okay. You want to explain that? He said, oh, yeah. Mama used to do this all the time because her mother told her. When she was picking up the dishes from dinner after we'd had a family dinner, if she ever looked at you and said, hey, keep your fork, you knew there was an apple pie or there was cherry pie or there was something coming that was good. And, Pastor, Mama's got her fork because there is something good coming. And that good, that good is what keeps us hopeful. But today, think about this. For many of us, living here is just great. It's luxurious. We want, oh, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not, I don't want to leave. I love this. Can I tell you today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church? Today. Do you know how many Christians die every year because they will not deny that Jesus is the Christ, the Lord? 150,000 die every year. There are countries on this planet that being a Christian is life-threatening. But they are still following Christ and believing. Why? Because they know while it may be tough on this earth, there is something coming that makes it worth it. Can we just pause for a moment and remember them? Because so many times we forget. There are brothers and sisters that are struggling. Can we just bow? Just bow for a moment. God, we just don't want to forget your people our brothers and sisters in the faith that we'll spend eternity with. Today they may be hurting. Today they may be threatened. Today they may be afraid. But I know that you are going to redeem even those circumstances. You're going to take care of them. Your presence is with them. Bless them. Let them know they're not forgotten. And we look forward to seeing them one day. In Jesus' name, amen. So one day, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. This is an old hymn. I've sung it a thousand times or more. What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. What are we going to do? We're going to sing and shout the victory. So what's heaven like? If this is so good, where do we learn that? How do we know that? You know, you've got a lot of choices where you can learn about heaven today. You got social media, my goodness, believe everything you read, right? You got books on somebody that died, went to heaven, they came back, and they're going to tell you all about it. Now, I don't think necessarily they're wrong. I don't think that, you know, maybe that does happen. But I tell you what I do, I would take whatever they tell you they saw, I compare it to what God said, and if you got to choose one, go with what God said, not what they saw in that moment. It's, this is the source, Okay. You say, well, I had a friend, and they went to a, a palm reader. Or they had a medium. They had a spiritist, and they were able to talk to their aunt. No, they didn't talk to Aunt Susie. They talked to a demon who pretended to be Aunt Susie. There's only one place you will understand and learn about the other side, right here, this book, okay? Hollywood does a lot of cool stuff.
And there's some great movies out there that really make you think, but can I just tell you, this is the Word of God. It will not fail. It will not fail you or disappoint you. So what does the book say? Let's go. Revelation 21. That's the picture of heaven. That's that in terms of that whole scheme, the whole outline of our life, this is Revelation 21. So I want you with your Bible open, I want you to look at it with me, and we're going to start reading in just a second. So can I, can I just tell you, John is on an isle called Patmos, okay? We know where that island is. I've never been to it. You can actually go there, though. When he was on it, he was exiled by the Romans, okay? He was there because he preached Jesus, and they told him to shut up, and he wouldn't. He said, no way, I'm not stopping talking about Jesus. So here he is on an island. He's been beaten. He's been boiled alive, and he's getting old. And I can only imagine John thinking, man, this life is just, it's everything going wrong. And one Sunday, we know it was on a Sunday, on the Lord's Day, all of a sudden he sees Jesus. And Jesus says, John, I know it looks rough out there, but can I show you what's going to happen? Can I show you what's going to happen? Now remember, the puzzle that I showed you that day, I don't understand where all the pieces go. I just know what the picture is supposed to look like. And that day Jesus said, John, let me show you the picture. Let me show you what's coming. And that's why we have a book called Revelation. And that's why we have chapter 21, because Jesus said it's going to happen this way, and this is what's going to take place. Here's what's coming. It's called heaven. And it's the hope. And it's what ought to keep us stirred up. And this morning, I hope you leave going, man, I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm really looking forward to it. So let's read what John saw. Chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, no crying, no pain. For the former things have passed away. And he who seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without cost, without payment. The one who conquers will have this as their inheritance, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But it's for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, Jump over to 22, chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river, the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. And on either side of the river, the tree of life, 
with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit in each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. That's home. So let me give you three words to describe heaven. Number one, it's a place, a real place. Number two, it's a person. It's Jesus. Number three, it's home. It's where I was created to be. It's where you were created to be. So a place, let's start with a place. What is it? What is, how does he describe it? Well, it's a place where all things are new. Everything is new. And the first thing people think is, well, that means that he's going to destroy everything that is and it's done. No. There's a word there for new that doesn't necessarily mean annihilate what is. It means redeem what is. It's going to be, there's going to be continuity from what we experience now and what we know now in heaven. But it's redeemed. It's changed. And so as he's describing this, he says, I, I make all things new. And in that new state of things, guess what's not there? This is pretty cool. There's no more seas. Why no seas? Seas, water, oceans were considered to be threatening. They were considered to be divisions. Does it mean there's not going to be ocean? No, it doesn't mean there's not going to be ocean there. It just means there's not going to be the threatening seas. In fact, there's not going to be anything that threats, has threat or has any kind of intimidation. And there's no tears or crying. Now, I'm going to tell you, the next one is the one that I love dearly. There's no more death. No more funerals. No more having to say goodbye to somebody you've known all your life. Nope. And there's no more pain. Can you imagine what it's going to be like? I started to say, get up every morning. I don't think we're going to sleep in heaven because our bodies don't need the rest. We've entered into his rest. And we're perfect. So bodies don't need to regenerate. And not, no, you're perfect. But I do know this. Think about walking around in heaven every day and your knees. Oh, man, my knees kind of give me trouble today. Nope. No more. We can tell all the stories of what a great athlete we were, but we don't have any of the scars to show it. We're healed. We're perfect. And there's no temple. There's not a church building. Why? We don't need symbolic places where we gather because he is in the presence of us. He is with us. So we don't need those places that would remind us of him where we would go and his name rested there. No, he will be with us. And we don't have to worry about the sun or the moon or shadows. Yet were you ever afraid of your shadow? You ever heard? I know there's some kids, it bothers them. You don't know shadows there. Because in the shadow, there's evil. In the shadow, there's things that are in the darkness. There's no darkness there. And who, what's the light? Well, he's the light. And there's no night. And there's no sin. Johnny Erickson Tata, that young lady that was 
that broke her neck when she was a teenager. She's up in years now. She's older than I am, but still confined to a wheelchair, been a quadriplegic all of her life. She sat on this platform in that wheelchair, and she said, you know what her favorite thing about heaven was? Her favorite thing about heaven is there's no more temptation. There will never be another moment where she's tempted to say something or think something that's not of God. It will be absolutely void of anything that has any element of sin. And the more I thought about that, the more I got excited about that. Wow. I won't ever have to catch myself and, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Or think something, I'm like, man, I don't need to be thinking that. Or do something, oh, why did I do that? Nope, never again. There's no sin. So you see, everything is brand new. All right? There's going to be a city there. And it's a beautiful city. I didn't read the part, starting in verse 9, where he describes that city. Now, let me tell you what the city is. It's not heaven. It's the capital of heaven. When you tell people you live in the United States, you don't describe Washington, D.C., do you? Washington, D.C. is our capital. It's not the whole country. This is a description of the capital of heaven. It's called the New Jerusalem. And there are specific measurements of this city. You realize he's describing a city that actually, if you take the literal interpretation and do the measurements, it's 1,500 miles on every side. It's a cube. Okay, it's a cube. So every side, length, width, height, everything, 1,500 miles. I just think, and people have done the math and said, well, how many could that hold and all of that? I don't think you have to do all that math. He's just trying to describe something that he saw and that is heavenly. And I know it's a city that has walls 1,500 miles high, and guess what? The walls are made of jasper. You ever seen jasper? The gates are made of pearl, but not a bunch of little pearls like we know. No, one pearl. You ever seen a pearl that big? I want to see the oyster that birthed that one. I mean, that's, that's huge. But what John is trying to do is describe it in terms that we can connect to. He says not only is this city has these walls. By the way, walls re represented peace. If you lived in a city in those days to have walls, I mean, even in some countries you've been where they have walls around their house. And on top of the walls, they have barbed wire. Why? Protection. Those walls are a picture of peace. But guess what? The gates on this city are open all the time. The gates are open all the time. What does that mean? You're free to come. You're free to go. This is a place of peace. You don't have to worry about anything. And then he, he describes this place that's absolutely beautiful. He talks about the streets. And we say they're streets of gold. Have you ever seen transparent gold, clear gold? I haven't either, but that's what they're described as. I think it's something beyond any gold we've ever experienced. I can relate to this. On this earth, unredeemed, men walk on God and worship gold. There, we walk on gold and we worship God. It's so different. And all of this description is to try to say it's a home that Jesus has prepared for us. And it's a redeemed earth, not just the capital, but the whole earth. If you were to ask me, what does heaven look like? Go back to this. It looks like this. It looks like what it was in the beginning, the Garden of Eden. It looks like the earth we know, except without the scar of sin. Think about it. 
Think about the most beautiful place you've ever been and what you've seen. Let me show you a verse to keep it in mind. Romans 8. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. Creation didn't do anything wrong. We did the sinning, not this creation. But was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from it and from bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And watch this last part. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. When you see a tornado, hurricane, storm, earthquake, whatever, that's childbirth pains. This earth is groaning. This earth is longing to be redeemed. Even when you see beautiful scenery, think about the most beautiful place you've been. Think about your favorite place to go where you can just, you're in your happy place. I'm going to show you ours. But Rachel and I will soon be married 44 years. And there's a place we've gone many, many times. I can't even count. When we just got married, we had no money, but we were idiots thinking we're going to drive all night. And we did. We had a friend that had a place up there, and that friend let us stay. It's a place called Estes Park, Colorado. I think it is some of the beautiful, most beautiful country. This is a hike that we used to do. And then I've been up there in the fall when the elk are just everywhere, and I was hiking one day and saw this elk up against the mountains and took a lot of pictures. You don't need to see all of them. You know why I took pictures? Because I think it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Think about what you would take a picture of. Maybe an ocean, maybe something you've been out of, out of the country in beautiful places. Switzerland, Canada. Can I tell you that these are pictures of child, birth, labor, pains? That's what the Bible says. I didn't take any pictures of Rachel when she was in labor. Did you, guys? No, because you're probably not here. They went on to be with Jesus after they took the picture. I mean, I don't, who takes a picture of their wife in labor? That's hard. That's terrible. Do you realize the beauty of this earth is looking at an earth that's in labor pains? And if the labor pains are that beautiful, can you imagine what the baby's going to look like? It's going to be perfect. There's going to be streams. There's going to be mountains. There's going to be animals. Yes, your pets are going to be there. Yes, well, not sure. Some pets I've had, I'm not sure they made it. But anyway, <laughs> your pets are going to be there. Animals are there. It's going to be a redeemed heaven and earth. And it's going to be a place that's real. And it's a person. Heaven is all about a person. Who is that person? Jesus. Go back to Revelation 21. Look at verse uh, 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And the gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. 
They will bring glory into, they will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. You know what I picture when I see the throne of Jesus? I mean, I, this is just my picture. Yeah, my favorite part of the Olympics, uh, I mean, they're, obviously the competition is my favorite, but I love the opening ceremony. The opening ceremony when there's people gathered in some elaborate stadium that was built usually just for the Olympics. And there's all this happening on the field, and then all of a sudden in come the nations. And they have their flags. And they have their uniforms. And all of them are coming into that center area. And the people are cheering. I just see that picture in heaven. Except what they're cheering about and the one they've come to worship is the Lamb, Jesus himself. And the nations will come and there's healing for the nations. There is peace in every nation. You say, but what about those nations that they outlawed Christianity? There are believers there, and they will represent those nations. So there will be a continual stream of people in and out of the city, and they're coming, why? To give glory and honor to the Lamb. Maybe a moment to cast those crowns before the Lamb. Maybe a, a moment just for you to have that conversation. He is where heaven is. As someone said, if heaven was never promised to me, neither the promise to live eternally, it's been worth knowing Jesus all my life. He's the centerpiece of heaven. If I were to say to you, point where heaven is. On the count of three, I want you to point. If somebody asks you, point to heaven. On the count of three, I want you to point there. Ready? One, two, three, point. You know, most everybody pointed up. I guess if they asked the same question in the Chinese church, they'd be pointing down, according to us. The point is, I don't know if we should point up sideways. I might actually just point here. It's wherever Jesus is. That's heaven for me. And the last thing, it's home. You see, you were created for this place. And I want to show you why I believe it's home. Go back to uh, the text. I'll put it up here for you. Revelation 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. The word dwell and the word dwelling place is the same word John uses in the prologue of the gospel when he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know what it means? He moved in next door. It literally means he is your next door neighbor in heaven. And the text also says that you become his child. Now I want you to just imagine for a moment God moving in next door. For most of us, that'd be great. You remember how Adam and Eve, the Bible said, used to walk with God in the cool of the garden? Can you imagine walking around a new heaven and new earth with Jesus? Can you imagine just having God right there? That's what heaven is. See, heaven was never a place to have you somewhere else and God another place. No, no. God wanted to be with you because he loves you that much. And he doesn't want you to be afraid of him. He wants you to live next door to him. And he wants to have those conversations with you. So we were created for that. Everything about us longs for that. 
Home is where our creator is, but it's where our family is. So people ask, are we going to know our family in heaven? Well, of course we will. Those that are there. Well, what about those that didn't make it? You won't know they didn't make it. There's no, there's no tears in heaven. You will know every person in heaven. You will know them. Vance Abner once says, how are we going to know less in heaven than we know now? We're going to be perfect in knowledge. We're going to know one another. Will we know our friends? Yes, we'll know our friends. Will we be able to enjoy? Yes, we'll be able to enjoy. My goodness, there's a Starbucks on every corner in heaven. Well, I'm just kidding. There is all kinds of places to sit, visit, talk, enjoy. And by the way, every relationship is perfect. You say, what do you mean? Here's what I mean. No awkward moments. No awkward moments. Never will you see somebody and go, oh, gosh, I, I don't know what to say. Nope. When you see them, your heart leaps. You rejoice. What about our families? Yep. They're there. Will we know their family? Yes, you will. And this is the question I always get from guys and from ladies. So, David, you know I've been married three times. So when I get to heaven... You know the question. How am I going to deal with that? It's perfect. What do you mean it's perfect? It's perfect. You see, every one of those relationships were scarred. Every one of them. You take the scars out, you take the element of sin out, every one of those relationships are perfect. So your uh, ex is not going to be looking at your new wife going, hmm. No. Because the scripture says there's no marriage in heaven. What does that mean? That mean we, I'm not going to know my wife. No, you're going to know your wife. I, I'm not going to have to be intimate or have a relationship with No, no, no. You're going to have more than you ever had here. See, we can't wrap our mind around a relationship that has no sin. Every relationship you've been in had sin in the middle of it. Think of the best and the most perfect relationship you've ever had. It's going to be multiplied over and over. And we're going to be there together. Now, how old will we be? I don't know. Maybe 33. Many believe Jesus was 33 or 30, and scientists tell us our body reaches our peak when we're 30. And there's a lot of people who believe that maybe 30. Randy Alcorn kind of hints that maybe you're in your late 20s or 30. Well, if our body hits our peak when we're 30, there's a lot of us way over the hill Yes, we are, but not in heaven. Our bodies are perfect. Will we eat in heaven? Yes. Will we gain weight? No. Now, that's awesome. Will we be like our bodies be perfect in the way they're shaped? Perfect. Perfect. Well, what about our children that we've had to say goodbye to? Will I know them? Yes, you'll know them. Will they be a child? No, but you'll know them. You see, they might have left here a child. But when you see them, they're going to be what God intended them to be, which is beautiful. You ever lost somebody really close to you? You're looking forward to seeing them? I am. I really am. My mom, whom I lost in April... 
when we were on the journeys of Paul, this never happened to me. On the journeys of Paul, the night before we were in Rome and getting to visit the cell where they held him as prisoner, I dreamed of my mom. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've dreamed of those you said goodbye to, and maybe you've seen them. I don't know if it's true in everybody I've ever talked to, but there may be exceptions, I'm sure. But when I saw her, she was perfect. There wasn't a wrinkle. I didn't see the stress on her face. She was perfect. And I woke up the next morning going, God, thank you. I needed to see that. And some of you need to see that. It's going to be okay. And for those that have lived this life, like Johnny talks about her body. She said, I've lived in a wheelchair. I've lived with a body that won't work. And some struggle with all the illnesses and diseases that none of which were created by our Father, but have taken so much of His creation. Multiple sclerosis, cerebral palsy, muscular dystrophy, whatever it is. Every deformity will be perfect. The lame will walk and the blind will see. Fanny Crosby, who wrote many hymns, she used to talk about it. Charlotte Elliott, another one, used to talk about it. Someone said, you know, it's almost been worth being blind all my life to know the first thing my eyes will ever see is Jesus. We're perfect on that day. And I think the thing that makes it the most comforting, C.S. Lewis said it this way. When we get to heaven, I've come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land that I have been looking for all my life. Every dream will be fulfilled. Every desire will find its completion. And you will be home. Phil Wickham wrote a song called The Hymn of Heaven. And he talks about yearning to breathe the air of heaven. And yearning to be there and seeing the one that died for him. It goes like this. How I long to breathe the air of heaven where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets. To look upon the one who bled to save me and walk with him for all eternity. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.